G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan. And how about yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. I, I suppose I'll, I'll let everyone in on how I've been, Dad. It's been a big week. It's been a big week. It's been a big uh, week. As a Cats fan, Dad, I'll tell you what, it's been an overwhelming week in some ways. And look, I will just mention that uh, I suppose in the lead up to last week's podcast, we actually meant to record a podcast. We sat down to record a podcast. And to be honest, Dad, I, I, I was just feeling so overwhelmed last week that I, I just didn't really feel up to it. And I suppose part of that relates to a little bit about what we're talking about today because I suppose just to let everyone in a little bit, yeah, I had a, had a super busy week with maybe a few extra things on and, and part of that was feeling that oh, I'd been, you know, working away maybe on my own and, and maybe lacked a bit of a group dad. And so I reckon that's where what we're going to be speaking about today is certainly going to be relevant to me because I know that I felt maybe a little bit isolated last week just from being so busy and maybe a little bit overwhelmed. So I know me personally, I'll be able to, I think, gain a lot from what we're going to be talking about today and, and in next week's podcast as well. Yes, and I had a bit of a scratchy voice last week as well, so I found it a bit of a relief to not be recording one last week, but there was a bit of a group pickup on the weekend, wasn't there? Like, there was a bit of a group thrill, actually. Well, for those of us in Geelong, many of us. Well, absolutely. I'll tell you what, that's the, uh, that's the side of things that's probably made me recognise the value of groups, Dad, because in the lead-up to it, you know, I was all the, you know, nervous and excited about the game, but... But geez, it's been incredible for, you know, the, obviously the whole town of Geelong and the community that supports that team. And so I feel very much belonging to that group this week, Dad. Yes, I found that going down to a grand final parade where the team was celebrating its win with the Premiership Cup and lots of people in this parade. But no doubt you would have celebrated that a bit when you were recording the Cats Team podcast yesterday because, of course, that's a, another main podcast that you're involved with for the Geelong Cats. Well, absolutely, yeah. And I'll tell you what, I've just been one of the, the highlights of my life, Dad, to be, you know, in a, a very tiny, tiny little way, but somewhat, you know, involved in the club in terms of, you know, being made to feel a part of it in, in some very little way. So they've been incredible down there and, you know, very reliably led by Joel Selwood, who might maybe talk a little bit about next week because oh, he's just the most amazing leader of a group that I've ever come across, Dad, and I think an incredible example. A wonderful captain and leader and the recently retired, just very immediately recently retired Geelong captain. But I know that you would have felt involved because I saw you holding up the Premiership Cup in a photo there. So half your luck. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, I think they, uh, they might have seen the look on my face when they walked in, Dad, because the very first thing they asked was, oh, do you want a photo, Rowan? <laughs> and so I think I maybe gave away my excitement a little bit when I first saw it. But Dad, we better get into today's episode, which we've called Applying Positive Psychology on the Big Screen. Because although we're, we're going to be talking about some things today to do with you know positive psychology and this sort of stuff, there's been something going on in the background which is a little bit exciting that relates to today's episode. So do you want to just tell us a little bit about what you've been up to and maybe how it relates to today's episode? Yes, well, this is another group celebration of sorts because there's been a wonderful project I've been involved with as a consultant psychologist over the last couple of years and it's a film documentary called How to Thrive. It's a wonderful documentary which is about applying positive psychology to people with quite significant mental health problems. And so one of the main features of this film is showing how people can benefit 
from positive psychology interventions that were originally largely designed for people who are already relatively well to help them be better, this film was testing the limits of how positive psychology could also benefit those with very significant depression or trauma reactions or other kinds of difficulties. And I think that the film really benefited from having a wonderful team involved, right through from the leadership of Marie McLeod, a very experienced positive psychology practitioner and group facilitator, and also the very creative director, Dee Huen, who did a wonderful job at depicting the path of seven people going through this positive psychology program and a very committed team, film crew around it. The participants were very involved and engaged in the program throughout. And so it was wonderful to see how this unfolded over about two years. And so it was even more amazing because this project unfolded across the pandemic. We'll talk about how that unfolded. But it's a real celebration to know that through October, the film is going to be shown throughout Australia. It has a premiere in Melbourne on the 13th of October, sold out apparently, but there are many other sessions that people can get to in Melbourne and around the country. So looking up how to thrive, and we'll have a link in our episode page for screenings that people can access and book tickets through. But yeah, it's a real joy to get to this stage and see this project reach the big screen. Well, it's a very interesting project, and I will say, you know, I'm I haven't seen it yet. I'm very much looking forward to seeing it when I do. But I suppose we've had a bit of a chat about some of the themes in the documentary and even, I suppose, indirectly from a distance seeing it come together over the couple of years. One of the things I found really fascinating about the documentary, as you say, dealing with a pandemic in the middle of it, you know, regardless, I think, of what anyone was doing, that would have thrown a bit of a spanner in the works. But doing a documentary about mental health, of all things, I, I imagine that would have... Uh, would have made a difference, the fact that the pandemic showed up at the start of the documentary. But I suppose what is significant about that to me is that, you know, I remember hearing that you were doing a documentary about applying positive psychology and how it can assist people with significant mental health challenges. Well, in, in some ways, you know, one of the things about, you know, significant mental health challenges is how isolating it can be to go through those things. And it seems that part of the documentary was, I suppose, combating that isolation that people may feel when they're going through those experiences. But in some way, with the experience of the pandemic, we all went through a bit of an isolating situation in some ways. And so I suppose that's where, indirectly, I think there's going to be some themes from the documentary and even from what we're speaking about today that are relevant to everyone. Because you know, I think I can certainly relate to maybe feeling a little bit more isolated at times than I did before the pandemic. And I think maybe last week was a little bit about that, Dad. You know, I sit here and, and feel I've got to be a little bit more proactive about how I go about maybe feeling connected with others. And, and that's where I think certainly the documentary, but everything that we be speaking about today and next week will be relevant to that too. Yes, and that theme of connection to others is so important, isn't it, to all of us? And as you say, many of us can relate to how that was more difficult through that period of lockdowns and isolation, even the social distancing aspects that we had to adjust to. And one of the things about this film that was so remarkable, but not planned, of course, is that that process of connecting to other people in groups, which this How to Thrive program was looking to promote, was so disrupted by the pandemic that you would have wondered if it could continue. But in the end, what happened? I think that there was another dimension that came into the film because it documented, it recorded that shift from face-to-face -face contact to telehealth and Zoom. Basically, people would meet once a week 
over Zoom and also have some individual sessions with Marie over Zoom. And so this was documenting how the world of mental health interventions at that time had to change. Even in our therapy practice, we were seeing people only via Zoom or contact by telephone for six months. Well, this documentary shows how people still could benefit from a group positive psychology program and stay connected and build their connections even when that contact was almost exclusively remote, especially that first six months. I suppose what I find interesting about that is, you know, the group of people who were selected for the documentary, I suppose out of, you know, just a regular group of people in society, potentially they had some more challenges and so they would have been right at the coalface, I suppose, of dealing with some of the disruption that the pandemic caused. And that's where I suppose maybe on, on one level it seems that going into something like this, potentially you could look to document a, a nice-looking story where, you know, it, it turns out well for everyone and at the end of it, you know, we can all sort of sit back and go, gee, wasn't that great? But it seems like what happened was, you know, the theory in some ways that was being tested was required almost to be tested with more rigour, if that makes sense, in terms of, you know, just in any circumstances, getting a group of people who had significant mental health difficulties together and, and working through some of these interventions, like that would present its own set of challenges anyway. But it seems that dealing with that in the middle of the pandemic would almost make things not even necessarily harder. It would just almost mean that it's almost like a more rigorous stress test of the theory, if that makes sense. And so I suppose that's where even, you know, looking at, you know, what happened and that sort of thing, I'm sure it would have presented its whole range of challenges at the time and there would have been maybe a sense of can we even, you know, do this documentary. But I suppose one of the things that I am looking forward to seeing in it and even talking to you about some of the themes is that the ideas in, in many ways were tested with more rigour than what it was set out to do in the first place, if that makes sense. Yes, that's one of the things I was really interested in about this documentary from the start because it didn't shirk from challenges. And as you say, the bar was raised pretty high in terms of the challenges to get through. I think we could say that it wasn't just the individuals who came into that program who were going through something of their own dark night of the soul, as we talk about from time to time. I'm sure the whole documentary crew and D and others would have been going through that initial dark night of the soul of how on earth are we going to negotiate this? And again, I know at the same time in our private psychology practice, we were facing that real challenge at first of not knowing if we could continue in any normal way delivering mental health services. But in terms of that challenge, one of the things I found most interesting in this documentary is it looked to enlist people by getting out the message on different Facebook groups, but also there was one mental health service, but other settings of asking for volunteer participants who were going through struggles. Now, basically, that idea of going through struggles, well, most of us could relate to that at some stage in your life. And I thought, well, there might be a number of people with fairly mild depression, some anxiety problems, maybe some relationship difficulties that might put up their hand. Actually, the people who joined this program had very significant mental health challenges overall, on average at least. For example, one person came into the initial retreat having been discharged from a psychiatric hospital the previous day for depression. They'd gone through a severe depression and fortunately had reached a point where they felt that they would be able to join this program and that person followed through very constructively through the whole time, which will be depicted in the documentary. But 
it will show at the start of the documentary too, it's not shirking from addressing very challenging problems when you get a sense of how depressed that person was at the start of the program. There are other people who'd gone through very significant repeated trauma reactions in the past, very severe trauma, people who are dealing with loss as well and grief. Someone clearly had very strong obsessive-compulsive symptoms. There was someone else who not that long ago had been in prison. There's certainly a range of people with very significant challenges. And I was struck by the fact that on average, the people who joined this program, I would say, had more serious mental health challenges than the average person attending our private practice. And I had not anticipated that would be the case. So it was going to be a very real test of the limits of positive psychology, but also it was going to be, well, fascinating to see how that would unfold. And certainly if people did gain benefits from that program, it was going to say something about the potential application of the optimistic model of positive psychology, but also the capacity of a group process to hold people, support people and help people, especially when run by a very experienced and skilled facilitator. What I wonder then is, like, what was it just positive psychology interventions that were in the documentary? Like, one of the things I suppose that we've spoken about on the podcast before is, is maybe the limitations of positive psychology, as you alluded to there, and potentially there are times when positive psychology works really well in conjunction, maybe with a, another form of therapy or, or field of psychology as well. So how did it play out in terms of, was it simply a, a positive psychology program or were there other elements to it as well okay and I think this is one thing when people do have significant mental health problems and there was one person involved in the program who'd experienced psychosis in the past certainly as I mentioned someone had just come out of a psychiatric hospital admission the day before now that shows that people are still having contact with other mainstream mental health services a number of people required that and I think that is something to acknowledge. If people have very significant mental health problems, diagnosable mental health problems, it's not an either-or. It's not that positive psychology should look to replace that because there are other kind of interventions that are sometimes required, for example, for severe depression. And that can include medication. Like there would have been a number of people involved in the program who would have been on medication at some stage of their time in the program. And there would have been other people who were receiving therapy in other ways. And I suppose that there were times also where I would have had some involvement with the participants and drawing on a clinical psychology background in terms of some kind of brief assistance or support at certain kind of stages. So I think that was also called on. But the broad thrust of the program was a group process of encouraging an optimistic outlook, focusing on people's strengths, looking to encourage what we call a growth mindset, so acknowledging that there can be problems, but people can keep on improving their mental health and resourcefulness in certain ways. So that's a theme that runs through the whole program. But there were also people who experienced very complicated circumstances and situations and difficulties, not all of which will be depicted in the ultimate film because you can't convey everything in a 90-minute documentary. But what I can certainly say, having known all the participants who were involved in this program from the start, is that many of them had very significant mental health problems, which also at times required some assistance from conventional mental health services, even including hospitalisation. 
Well, the thing that strikes me about that is, you know, without knowing any of the participants, without really knowing anything to do with their story, I would assume that the extra interventions that they received would be delivered individually. In terms of, you know, I think that most therapy that we come across is in an individual context. Like even when we think about popular culture sort of thing, like my probably all-time favourite movie is Goodwill Hunting. It's a brilliant movie and, you know, it depicts the therapy process. But again, it's a very individual situation. Like, you know, you think of other, I suppose, movies and TV shows. Another one would be The Sopranos where, you know, he's Tony Soprano is in there speaking with his psychiatrist. I think it actually is rather than a psychologist. But having individual therapy. And it seems to me that what this program with the documentary, but what potentially is an extra arm of mental health is offering a group intervention where people can obviously still, you know, deal with their individual problems, but there is that maybe extra sense of belonging and support and those people around them to help them through whatever, I suppose, challenges they are facing. Yes, I think that's a very important feature of this film and it relates to something general in terms of mental health services. Like I've certainly commented at times that I think that too much of psychology in particular is too individualistic as in psychiatry and psychology, as you say, nearly always delivered in terms of an individual therapy approach. And so I think it's wonderful that this documentary conveys a group process. And you see people interacting in a group in different kind of settings, also over Zoom. We had Zoom groups where people could sort of check in with each other and help celebrate each other's wins, that side of things. But also it helps people through relating to others, people knowing that they're not on their own. And funnily enough, through that period of a pandemic with the lockdowns and the relative isolation and social restrictions that people were experiencing, actually I think it would have helped many of the participants to have this sense of belonging to a group through that difficult time. But yes, I think also what's conveyed in this film, it's not just positive psychology but in a group context and I think people will see some of the processes of a group unfolding and some of the benefits of it. As you say, part of that is the acceptance and support that people can gain from other people but there are other benefits as well. Well, yeah, again, you know, what stands out to me from that is that on the surface, of course there are going to be things that we can gain from a group that we aren't able to get in an individual context. So I suppose just looking at it, you know, just I suppose completely surface level, you know, from my, I suppose, distant view of the psychology field, like it just makes sense that we would maybe think of of how we could include groups a little bit more. But the other thing that strikes me about that, Dad, is, yeah, as I say, like there, there just seems to be so much in maybe the group process that we can gain from that, well, we will look into this art next week because I think there is a little bit more to be gained from really honing in on, on what we can benefit from the group process. But, Dad, do you want to just mention a couple of things maybe that came up in, in the documentary in terms of what some of the benefits for people being in that group were? Okay, well, there's a general principle in groups that we'll elaborate on further next week. It's called the principle of universality. So it does relate to connection with other people in terms of identifying with other people and realising you're not alone. It's this sense of belonging through recognising you're not alone. People can relate to other people's struggles. That's one thing I liked about using that term of struggles. Many of us can relate to the idea of struggles. It's part of human experience. And I suppose the film depicts that struggles can be relatively more severe or less severe, but by the same token, I suppose it's related to that theme we've talked about again many times. It's related to the notion of a hero's journey. Many of us at certain times in our life, 
are going to face being in the dark night of the soul. And that always relates to some kind of mental health challenge. We don't have to pathologise it. Sometimes it will be through loss or grief. Sometimes it will be through physical pain or challenges that people have through injury. But for many people, there'll be different variations of anxiety, depression and trauma reactions. And that's certainly depicted in this film. And many could relate to others in the film. But the key thing with this principle of universality is that people can relate to others. And so when people see others find different ways of striving to deal with their difficulties and maybe rising above them, that gives more hope. And they can actively support each other in that. But by witnessing the change in other people or even witnessing other people having struggles and seeing how hard it is for them, that can help that common humanity recognising, well, it's not like I'm just weak or pathetic that I'm really struggling with this. It's natural that other people would too. So we talk about self-compassion in terms of acknowledging that common humanity. Well, this is where people see that in other people's experience, can relate to each other, can support each other. And that adds another kind of dimension to human experience. Sometimes it helps people when they're not just going through things on their own. And the support of other group members was, I think, very significant for the progress that people made. Well, what strikes me about that idea of universality, and again, we'll we'll speak about this a little bit more next week, but it just seems like such a a good way to combat maybe the isolating elements of whether it be mental health or whether it be, you know, coming through a pandemic sort of thing. Like it seems that, you know, that concept is a, a central part of maybe involving people in a group. Yes, and look, one thing I'll say also that I think is relevant for anyone who's dealing with mental health problems is they will be experiencing their mental health problems often in the context of a family or sharing a house with others or even their wider social group. And I think another strength of this film is interviewing a number of family members or portraying people in their family context and remembering that when we talk about someone experiencing depression or anxiety or dealing with trauma, it's actually not just them. The people around are looking to deal with that as well and vice versa. And there are different ways that people can respond to those kind of challenges. And I think, again, there's a humanising element and there's that broader connection element to see people in their their life context, their social context, with their partners, with their family members. And so I think that's something also in psychiatry and psychology that's sometimes underemphasised, drawing on that social support of partners, friends and others. And sometimes it helps to have a narrative, not just for people in a group program, but for people around them, family members and others, to look at this notion of strengths, focusing on strengths and resourcefulness whilst not sugarcoating the difficulties, acknowledging the problems that people are going through, but looking to have an optimistic approach to acknowledging problems but looking at ways beyond them. Well, I think that's such an important point. And I suppose the other thing about that in terms of recognising, you know, the social supports we have and that sort of thing, it alludes to the fact that we can draw on maybe tools and resources from outside ourselves. Like that's almost the other implication of individual therapy. It's almost like, oh, you've got to work all this out by yourself in terms of, you know, well, you leave this therapy room and, you know, basically go deal with it and I'll see you when you get back sort of thing but it seems to me like if we can almost implement some of these say themes and principles like for example social support and the benefit that comes from that well that can give us just a whole extra range of tools that we can use yes and also people model 
the use of these tools for others as well. And I'll mention a particular example that came up. So when in a group, we might think also a group's an efficient way of conveying information. So for example, there might be 10 or a dozen people in a group or half a dozen people in a group, but if a group leader is conveying information about strategies that help with mental health problems or tips for well-being or say a gratitude exercise where it's a common positive psychology exercise, we nudge our attention more towards the positive by, for example, thinking at the end of the day of three things that you feel grateful for that day or three good things that happened that day. But otherwise, it can just be listing in a group three good things that happened in the last week or something like that. Now, when people do that in a group and they see other people, especially when they're depressed, maybe struggle to come up with good things that have happened or something they'll acknowledge that they feel a little bit pleased about that they've done themselves, if people are struggling with that, but then they see others struggling with that, but then maybe coming up with a few examples that can make it easier for them. And I'll mention one thing that I thought was very powerful in this program from that very first retreat. I don't think it's actually specifically depicted in the film, but I remember particularly one of the participants who acknowledged being depressed and often getting caught up in negative thinking. She really cottoned onto this idea of looking for the three positive things and nudging her attention more towards the positive. And you could see that filtering through more, like, say, in an afternoon session. And then maybe, like, the next day, and you thought, hey, this person, she's really cottoning onto this idea. She's really working at trying to see that silver lining, that positive aspect. And I really thought, I think this person is actually going to go quite well down the track. But I'll see and I'll observe because they're dealing with, again, significant depression and loss. She was actually estranged from her daughter as a real challenge that went from that, had other kind of difficulties. But I thought that over time you could really see this turnaround coming that built upon that initial shift, that nudging towards the positive. And if there's any one positive psychology intervention that we find also in our practice with people with severe depression that they can gain from, it's this gratitude exercise or for looking for the positive, acknowledging some positive things that happened that day, noting them in a diary. It might simply be it was pleasant and sunny or they had a phone call from a friend or they enjoyed a walk down the street or they enjoyed the flavour of something in their meal. It could be simple little things. But when people demonstrate that for others, it helps others cotton on that kind of modelling that happens. So I think that's also an underappreciated aspect sometimes with groups that people demonstrate for each other how you can actually apply this side of things, not to mention recognising strengths in each other. So much more powerful when people can see the good in others and reflect that back. Well, I guess one of the aspects of that as well is that often when we're depressed, you know, it's sometimes might be a little bit cynical about things, but we're depressed about ourselves in a way. And so I imagine seeing other people who we might have, have gained respect for, we might be able to think of all these great qualities about, if even they're struggling to think of something on their behalf, well, it almost normalises that issue of, of not being able to maybe come up with something that's positive. Yes, and that's one thing generally that helps people make progress, isn't it? Accepting vulnerability in ourselves but how much easier it can be in some ways to accept vulnerability in oneself when someone else has shown the courage to acknowledge something very challenging that they're going through or the extent to which they are struggling with something or even the way they might feel helpless in a certain situation. But being open 
to the support and interest and acceptance of other people. And for some people, that's very challenging to respond to the acceptance of other people. Some people are so down on themselves, especially if they've had past very negative, abusive or trauma-related experiences. People can find it very hard to see the good in themselves in certain ways, and that can become a real habit. But it's pretty powerful if you have a group of people who are very validating, who in different ways in their own language reflecting back the good that they see in people and so that's something certainly with all of us in our groups in our families our friendship groups will recognize the power that can come from that acknowledgement the validation from other people but that's something that I think we certainly see depicted in this film well I think you you acknowledged it a little bit there but that that was my next question in some ways in terms of like how does trauma affect someone's participation in a group like even you know the group in the documentary, for example, but all groups at the same time. Because, like, to me, trauma seems something that's so kind of inherently individual in terms, you know, we're the ones that go through it. And almost part of the issue with trauma is that we can't necessarily explain how it felt to us to someone else or, you know, we we can't convey the entire situation. So that in itself is almost an isolating aspect in terms of our experience has almost isolated us from others. But it seems that there could be maybe elements within the group that although everyone has their own individual experience, there might be maybe a, like it seems that validation is part of it. But I wonder how do we maybe include people in the group with their individual set of experiences, which are potentially going to be a little bit different from mine. And even though we're not necessarily going to be able to convey exactly what those are to each other, how are we able to be part of the same group? Oh, that's a really interesting process. And we ought to follow up on that theme more for our next episode too on group processes, because something I'm thinking of there is sometimes it can be really helpful having a group of people who've experienced something which is quite similar in some ways in terms of trauma. For example, in the past, I've been involved intensively with groups of Vietnam veterans, helped set up a group Vietnam veteran program at Heidelberg Hospital in Melbourne, but also I ran the Geelong group for people who'd been affected by the Bali bombings 20 years ago. And so with this, just say with the war veterans, many of them were suffering from different kinds of anxiety and depression and alcohol problems and anger problems and feeling distanced from the family and disconnected from others in different ways. But often it wasn't acknowledged that shared experience they had from Vietnam. And so acknowledging that through having people join what was also a PTSD group, post-traumatic stress, acknowledging their war-related experience and the impact for them, that actually helped people relate to others more and feel a little bit more accepting of themselves with their difficulties and look at different ways of addressing that. So that actually helped for people being in a group with others who had uncommon but somewhat similar experience. Whereas when we take the Bali debriefing group, well, actually some people's experience was quite different. Like some had been, for example, in one of the clubs that had been bombed. And so they faced that threat to life, and that was an aspect of their trauma. Whereas for others, they might not have been in Bali, but they might have lost family members who were killed in the bombings. Now, in some ways, that's quite a different experience, but there's that connection through the trauma of the Bali bombing. And so 
people felt that their lives had changed so much at that time and in different ways around a particular event and that helped them relate to each other even though they had different kinds of things to deal with, whether it was specific trauma memories of the bomb going off nearby and what could have happened to them or the traumatic loss of family members. But that would help bring people together. But what we'll see in this group, in the How to Thrive film, is they had quite diverse experiences and yet there'd be a number of things that there would be in common. And even if people don't share a background with trauma experience, when people are dealing with potentially overwhelming distress or just feeling overwhelmed by struggles in different ways, experiencing what we would commonly describe as anxiety or depression or reactions related to loss or other kind of difficulties, there's so much that is common about the human condition of being in pain that there's that commonality in itself that helps people relate to each other. And then what people will be particularly relating to is that challenge of owning up to and accepting the difficulties of experiencing, feeling helpless, maybe sometimes not having handled things in such good or helpful ways, whilst also recognising the striving in oneself and others. I think it helps people be more fully dimensional, so to speak. Acknowledge the warts and all, the difficulties, the struggles, the downsides of things, but also to be able to see people's wonderful attributes and strengths and also especially their desire, their preparedness to struggle. And hey, if they're prepared to align with and support and help others along the way, that makes it a more uplifting experience. Well, I think they're all, yeah, really, really good points. And it seems to me that, yeah, like although trauma whilst it is, you know, it's inherently an individual experience in some ways, like it does offer that connection with everyone else who's kind of gone through pain. Like in some way we connect over pain and like the way that I almost think about it in terms of the way that you describe that there is, you know, it's almost like this metaphor of a dark forest and, you know, we can say, you know, we've had trauma, we might have been in the dark forest and, you know, you and I could have been in completely different parts of the dark forest, but we've both been in the dark forest together, you know, it could have been miles apart and we're looking at, you know, completely different trees and you know, we're a long way away from each other. But at the same time, that experience is, is similar, you know, we're, we're both in that, I suppose, environment of the dark forest. Yes, and that's where I do find that terminology helpful about the dark night of the soul. Uh, we're going along and then something tips the balance, then we're at stage two the dark night of the soul. We're in that dark forest. We can't see the wood for the trees. We can't see ahead of ourselves. Sometimes we can't even imagine there's going to be a way of getting outside of that forest. But then there does tend to be some kind of shift. And that might be quite some time in coming. And it might be incomplete at first, but there's some kind of turning. There's some kind of improvement or there's something that gives a little more hope. And then often there are changes that follow, especially when people are prepared to struggle. And they have social supports that can help them in that quest. And then it often is people making progress and then it's about consolidating the change. Because the truth is when we complete one hero's journey and we get to a stage where we feel like we're consolidating progress in life, well, hey, look, it's sad in a way and concerning to think about, but we're probably going to face another time in future where, again, we're in that dark night of the soul, hopefully maybe a bit less intense, maybe not quite so overwhelming. But I think as Joseph Campbell says, the mythologist, the American mythologist, a good life is a series of hero's journeys. 
And one of the things I think that this film really does contribute is it depicts seven people's heroes' journeys. Imperfect, maybe incomplete, but a lot that's uplifting along the way. Well, what really strikes me about that is, you know, I suppose being in a situation, if you were experiencing mental health difficulties, in some ways part of that is... You know, we, we struggle to accept ourselves for who we are. It's, you know, it's an uncomfortable thing to be in that situation. But one of the things that strikes me about certainly the documentary, but, but any situation where we're in a group and we might be you know, feeling, say, down about ourselves, we might be going through some significant challenges, what it would be like to experience that acceptance from a group when you're in that situation, to me, like, it, just, it must be so profound to almost turn up to this you know, say room of people, you might not necessarily know any of them, and you go, you're thinking about yourself and you're going, oh, geez, I'm feeling rotten about myself today and I regret the way that I behaved last week and I've, I'm not as close with people that I want to be close with. And then you're sitting in this room with these strangers and, and they accept you and they say, hey, I've just met you, how you are, how you've come to me in your current state where you might think that you're, you know, feeling down about yourself and all this sort of stuff, but I've just met you and, you know, I want to be friends and I accept you and I welcome you as part of this group. Like, to me, even just that, even just being able to create that environment where people feel accepted, like, what a profound thing that must be for people in that situation who are, who are experiencing the struggles. Absolutely, and I hope that that's something that people relate to when they see the film. And a number of people who see the film will have mental health struggles of their own. And there'll be a number of other people who are just human beings living life who at times will be experiencing struggles in some way or another as well, or who otherwise might empathise with other people going through struggles with that level of compassion. But I think that there really will be something that people can relate to when they see people honestly acknowledging the struggles that they have and looking at that support that is around them and people making that effort to, I suppose, not just alleviate symptoms or not just to improve their mental health, but I'd say also to grow as people. And I think that's something that many people watching this documentary will find things to relate to. And I think just about anyone watching this documentary will find something to relate to, something meaningful to relate to. Well, it's something I often, you know, come back to within myself, but it seems so relevant here. It's, it's actually something I heard a footy coach say once, Dad, but uh, it was Ross Lyon, the coach of Fremantle, and he was talking about, you know, one of his young players. I think he transgressed it at a particular time, and he said, you know, what we, what we want to do at this football club is fundamentally support and challenge. And it seems to me that that, that might have been a, a facet of the documentary group, but that's what, in some ways, we're trying to foster within a group there's that fundamental support you know you can rock up here whoever you are in whatever state you think you're in and we're going to accept and support you but then at the same time there is almost that element of challenge too to kind of say well we support and accept you but at the same time you know we think there's potential for you to extend yourself in this way and you know we'll, we'll be here to help you do that at the same time like it it seems to me that being in a group just maybe allows maybe a bit more infrastructure to help maybe challenge ourselves and, and experience the support of the group when we do that. 
Yes, I like that notion of support and challenge. And to me, it sums up again a theme of not just what this documentary is about, but I suppose what we're on about with this podcast or the blogs that we've got on our website. The theme really is looking to make mental health information more accessible. How do we convey optimistic messages, hopeful messages while not sugarcoating the challenges that people might have. And I suppose the challenge is when people see, for example, in this documentary, very significant difficulties that people are facing, like acknowledging suicidal thoughts and being in a very dark place or not being able to see how they're likely to get through a particular difficulty that they have, there's more than enough challenge and many people witnessing that will be reminded of challenges of their own. But the support notion is the optimistic message, the optimistic message of positive psychology, which is nudging our attention more to the strengths that we have that we can overlook when we get that inner critic going or that harsh self-judgment that so many people face, whether it be through the unrelenting standards or overly self-sacrificing or just people dealing with significant past abuse or trauma where it's harder for people to have that faith in themselves. That notion of an optimistic message whilst dealing with the challenges, still acknowledging our, for example, sense of humour or persistence or kindness or perceptiveness or any of the other kind of character strengths that we have, but also nudging our attention towards some of the good things that happen, however small, even micro moments of joy that are mentioned in the film as well as just one little strategy even when things are dark. Well, it seems to me, Dadden, you know, as, as I mentioned, haven't seen the film, very much looking forward to seeing it, but it seems that part of what the maybe intention of the film was to do is to collect a group of people who have mental health difficulties and it seems to me like part of what the group is trying to do is to recognise and promote the essence of that person. Like it seems that what positive psychology is trying to do is trying to say, hold on, yeah, there's, there might be a collection of symptoms that someone experiences, but that's not who the person is overall. And so if we can provide an environment that looks past maybe some of those symptoms to be able to recognise who that person is sort of deep down and, and celebrate that person... As I said, I haven't seen the documentary. It just seems that would be a benefit that comes out of, I suppose, applying positive psychology with a group of people who, who have some difficulty. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it. So sometimes in positive psychology circles, the notion might be, let's forget diagnosis. Let's forget about depression or anxiety or post-traumatic stress because these are things that maybe highlight pathology and we want to focus on the strengths or the positives. However, there's a reality when someone's feeling so bereft and suicidal and low in mood that they need to go into hospital, it makes sense to acknowledge that there's such a thing as depression or that term is meaningful in terms of depicting where someone's at. There can be very severe anxiety that people are experiencing, obsessive compulsive disorders. I think it's relevant acknowledging that they exist in life. Post-traumatic stress, most certainly. Dissociative disorders. There are actually a couple of people who are involved in this program who had very significant dissociative symptoms, which just shows that that's actually more common than often acknowledged in the past, like we mentioned in previous dissociative disorders podcast episodes as well. Like actually... These challenges exist in the community. However, the uplifting thing, as you say, 
is noticing the person, primarily seeing the person, the essence of that person, if you like, even having a sense of someone's soul, if you like. There's more to a person than their symptoms, but sometimes traditionally, partly from a medical model, there'd be an overemphasis on, oh, this person, not just that they're suffering from some kind of personality problems, I've heard it said in the past, oh, this person, oh, they're a PD, shorthand for they are a personality disorder. That's a horrendous term. If people are using that kind of terminology, that's just harmful. And so I think part of positive psychology is recognising that people can struggle in very significant ways, but notice the person, notice their strengths, notice their character, notice the attributes that they have, including the social supports they have around them and their readiness to reach out for or accept help that's offered them. That's a skill in itself. That's a resource to be open to receiving help. And I think each of the people who participated in this program put up their hand. They had the readiness to be courageous to tell their story, but they also had that openness to receive help. And fortunately, in this situation, a lot of the help that was offered, including from fellow participants, was something that really made a difference. Well, Dad, I suppose the only final question left is uh, is where can we watch the documentary and when is it on? Because I, like, I know I've got my ticket, but uh, yeah, where, where can everyone else out there uh, see the documentary? And fantastic. Well, we're going to have a link in the episode page for this podcast, which has screenings around Australia. I think there are about 80 different screenings around Australia in virtually every state, but there's certainly three screenings in Geelong as well. One is on the 23rd of October. And after that one, which is at four o'clock, there's going to be a panel involving Dee and Marie and myself and Luke, a participant in the program. And so that's the 23rd of October that people can get tickets for that. Also, there's another screening on the 17th, I think, also at Village Cinemas in Geelong. And I think there's also a screening at Reading's in Geelong on the 16th at 3.30. But there's certainly screenings throughout Melbourne, including the premiere, as I mentioned, on the 13th. Unfortunately, sold out, but there will be other tickets for many other sessions in Melbourne and interstate. So yes, so as people will gather, I'm really pleased to have been associated with this project. I think it's a really wonderful contribution to the positive psychology and mental health field more generally. So yeah, look, I think it'd be great if people get an opportunity to get out and, and see that documentary, How to Thrive. And I suppose, yeah, Dad, if people are listening after those dates, I'm sure it'll be available. And we will mention in future podcasts when that does become available after those dates too. So, Dad, thanks for chatting with me about all this. The other thing that I will mention is you mentioned the resources that we'll put up at psychspills.com.au on the episode page for today. So we've got the article that you wrote and also I, I know... In a, a previous time, you'd done some research on the effectiveness of group therapy involving a couple of really interesting groups too. So we'll put the poster for that and the presentation of that information up on the episode page as well. So as I say, you can catch that at psychspills.com.au. But Dad, thanks for chatting with me about all this today. I, I must say, I'm looking forward to seeing you on the red carpet down the premiere. It's, uh, it's good that it's sold out and I'm very much looking forward to seeing the documentary. Thank you, Rowan. That's a celebration I really look forward to.